All right. Well, I love, I'm glad that we're back together for the Ironworks. I love getting together with you guys on a Saturday morning. This is a good time. And, and man, I think the Lord's blessed these uh, sessions that we have here uh, once a month, just getting in the word as guys. And, um, and sometimes there are topics, you know, that you uh, want to only uh, chip away at, at the topic with uh, just the brothers. So um, it's good. Behold how good and pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. And uh, that's the truth. Um, I'd like to uh, draw your attention to Second uh, Samuel uh, chapter 11. One of my favorite stories, a little, uh, on a day there was a guy who was doing his, you know, telemarketing calling and, you know, just house to house kind of calling, doing his thing. And this one phone was answered and this little boy, hello. And uh, the telemarketer said, um, yes, uh, um, is your mommy or daddy home? They're busy. Uh, they're busy? Well, is there any other adults in the house uh, that I could talk to? They're busy. Uh, really? And, and this made the telemarketer a little like, what's going on with this kid? You know, he's whispering, you know, they're busy and all this. And so he said, well, who else is in the house there? And he said, you know, the kid said, the firemen. <laughs> well, can you get one of the firemen? They're busy. Who else is there? The police. Get one of the police officers. Now, now the telemarketer is worried. You know, get one of the police officers and bring him to the phone. He's, they're all busy. <laughs> well, he said, what are they all busy doing? Looking for me. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that's, that's the question of the morning. Are they all looking for you? Are you the one who they're looking for? Um, the, the topic that I, I want to talk about is um, being above reproach. Um, and uh, what does that mean? Um, and the Bible kind of has this notion that uh, is applied mostly, by the way, <clears throat> to uh, leadership. Um, one of the things, though, that I've always kind of felt is that I think the Lord wants us all to uh, be leaders in that, in a certain sense. You're a royal priesthood. You and I are all called as guys, whether in the professional ministry or a pastor or elder or deacon or a guy who's just ministering, walking with the Lord, serving in the church, like uh, all of these things. I think the Lord wants us to uh, strive uh, for, you know, uh, walking with him, doing the right thing. And there's this idea that is put before us uh, that we'll get into about being blameless or that's the King James way of saying it or above reproach, which is um, the more modern translations that use that. And, and the idea, you know, is, is, um, is the, que you know, the question is, what does it mean to be above reproach? And part of the answer is that they're not hunting you down, looking for you going, oh, that guy's done a bunch of stuff. Um, and he's not, you know, when, when, um, when it says blameless there um, in, in 1 Timothy, we'll go there in a bit and talk about some of that. But in, in some ways, I'd like to start with the Old Testament illustration of what not to do. Then I'd like to show you another Old Testament illustration of what to do. I love how the Old Testament is a picture book that shows us Old Testament pictures, New Testament truths. And man, we learn from these Old Testament brothers um, who went on before us. And man, things haven't changed that much in thousands of years. So if you rewind, you know, 3,000 years, it brings us to this day where David is there in Jerusalem, the city of David, as it's called. I mean, uh, you know, and David's the king over Israel, king in Jerusalem, and uh, things are going along really good. He finally is a king, finally Saul's dead, his enemies are gone. David really has everything going for him at this point in his life. Everything's good. Um, and God, you know, is using him to the fullest extent. This is a real pinnacle of David's life. And man, when you're in that mode, when you're doing good and things are just rolling along just, just right and things are humming along, you're like, man, I'm just doing what God wants me to do and things are great. That's where you got to be careful. That's when the enemy puts a bullseye right on your back and wants to get you. Um, and uh, thus is the case with David. Um, let's take a look here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. It says in verse 1, And it came to pass after the year was expired at the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all of Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon. 
and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. So, interesting, um, if you're taking notes here, number one, David's errors. David's errors. Um, He makes a mistake here, I believe, um, in this story. Um, Because, what what time is it? It's the time when kings go to battle. Question, what was David's title? He's a king. So where should he be? At battle. He should be in the battle. But for some reason, he's not an old man at this point. Um, that comes later where, the, you know, remember the, the young guy said, David, you know, you're, you're old now. It's time for you not to go to battle anymore. And, you know, let the young guys deal with this. Remember, he almost got killed by Ishbibinov, uh, this huge giant. Um, and they said, don't let the light of Israel be snuffed out. But this was a time when David was still kind of in his prime. And, uh, and he, he should have been going out to battle with the guys. But for some reason, this time, he sort of hung back decided just to chill during the season of battle and uh, told the other guys, Joab and the gang, go out, you guys go out there and fight those Ammonites and uh, subdue the men of Rabbah and, uh, and all that. And, and, and he tarried, that's an interesting word, tarried, just hung out, chilled out in Jerusalem. And um, you've heard the old saying, you know, idle hands or idle minds, it's the devil's workshop. That's exactly what's going to happen to David here. He should have been busy. You know, I have found that the busier I am just serving the Lord, walking with the Lord, there's less room for me to do stupid stuff. There's less room for me to, um, you know, engage in things I shouldn't be doing. It's the idle time that I think the enemy goes, works over time at getting us to be, uh, you know, snared, snagged, um, grabbed into stuff that we shouldn't really have anything to do with. And so David's errors here is that he's not with the other brothers. He's off by himself. All the other guys are out fighting battles. Um, There's so much about just verse one here that I see as a problem. He's hanging back. He's not engaging in battle. Um, He's not where he should be. He's just kind of deciding to chill and cruise. But another part of this is he's not with all the other guys. There's something about being with the guys uh, that is having um, the guys that you're accountable to and the guys that you are fighting in, in battle alongside of. Um, there's something about being engaged with those guys and, and living life with those guys. Um, you know, it was Chuck Colson, who was part of the Watergate scandal that went to prison for his role in the Watergate scandal in the, under the Nixon administration. And he's the guy that said, you know, later he became a, a solid Christian dude, you know, and he said, every man should have at least two guys that could put him in prison. Uh, that know enough about him, know all of his life details and struggles that he could put, put you know, and, and it's, it's true. We, we did a whole ironworks on accountability. One of our Saturdays, we spent time talking about having a group of brothers that you're really accountable to. Now, um, if you're interested in that, by the way, you can, you know, load that up online and, and listen to that. Accountability is a funny thing though. You know, you can only be as accountable as you really want to be. You could, you could have a bunch of guys and, and you could just, you know, uh, lie and tell your accountability brothers, man, I'm doing good. I'm walking with the Lord. Everything's great. Um, or you can be honest with them and tell them what you're really struggling with. That's up to you what, whether you're going to do that. Um, you know, some, some guys say, well, what if my stuff is bad enough to where those guys, like, like they could, you know, turn me in or whatever. Well, see, that's the thing. Hopefully your accountability thing, it's meant to deal with that stuff before it gets so dastardly that you, that you got to go to prison. Uh, that's, that's the kind of thing. Some guys, well, I'm not telling anybody anything. Um, you know, but, but here's the thing about that. David, he, there's, he lost that safety net of having Abishai and Joab and Benaiah and some of the mighty men around him just to, just to say, David, man, watch out. There's something about being linked up with the brothers and never, you never want to be that isolated guy who just doesn't have anybody that you ever talk to about your own walk and your faith. Um, some of you say, well, my wife's my accountability partner. Not a great idea. And, and, you know, your wife can be just about every other thing as far as in life. Uh, but accountability sometimes, especially depending on what you wrestle with, that, that'd be a full-time job for your poor wife. And it also might depress her to no end uh, to think what's going on in your brain and what men struggle with. Uh, sometimes it's, it's too much really to try to ask our wives to be that for us. I've seen guys make that mistake thinking they can just you know, uh, lean on their wife for, you know, sexual addiction and struggle and pornography and stuff like that. And um, not a good plan. 
Um, there's something about brothers and there's safety in a multitude of counselors and being accountable and be like iron sharpening iron. That's the idea. Uh, that's why we call this ironworks on a Saturday morning because we want sparks to fly. Uh, even if it hurts sometimes, we're gonna talk about stuff even when it hurts. Um, that's something that your wife doesn't necessarily, nor should she feel like she has to do um, when it comes to you and your own personal walk with the Lord. So David's got idle hands. He's sitting around when he should be out in battle, engaging in the battle. Um, what are you doing? Are you engaging in battle right now spiritually? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in high places. There's a battle to be fought and we need to be engaged in that battle. Um, sometimes I, I see brothers that don't realize we're living in a battle and it's almost like, you know, you're in a battlefield and picture, you know, everybody's running for cover. Everybody's taking up their weapons. Everybody's, you know, training and preparing themselves. But then there's the brothers just walking around. What's going on out here? You know, with his head up high and bullets are flying. That's the guy that doesn't get it, that we're living in a spiritual battle. And that's the first guy that's going to get hit. Um, be aware that uh, engaging in battle is, is a key part of, of what, we supposed to, what we're supposed to do. So David's errors, number one, he's, uh, he's alone, no brothers around him. He's not engaging in battle when all the other guys are. Um, and so he's vulnerable. That's the problem. That's David's errors. Number two, we see David's temptation. So verse two, it came to pass in an evening that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. And the wom woman was very beautiful to look upon. David's temptation. You know, um, now the question is, when did the sin begin? Um, that's a, an interesting thing to talk about. When did David's sin begin? Um, some people might say, well, it's when he started to lust after her. Possibly. Um, but has that happened yet? Well, it says here, it came to pass, David, he walked on the roof and from the roof, he saw a woman washing herself. Is there sin there? Um, just saw the woman. Uh, guess what, brothers? We live in a culture where you're gonna see a woman. It's gonna happen. There's gonna be a woman right in front of you every day that is meant there to uh, lure you into lust. That's just our culture. That's the culture that was even back in Bible times. Um, it's the oldest temptation of all time. You know, Eve fell because she wanted enlightenment. Adam fell because there was a naked woman with food in her hands. Um, that, that's the bottom line. That's what happened there. Um, it's the oldest sin in the book, you know, what happens to men. But, but all that to say, David's temptation, I, I believe, by the way, the sin didn't start with seeing the woman. I think it started in verse one. The sin started in verse one where he just hung back and was just chilling out. That's where the sin began. Um, that's something to think about. So he sees the woman and notices that she is beautiful to look upon. So verse three, David sent and inquired after the woman. Now we're deep into sin, right? Uh, he's, he's, he knows better than this. He inquires after the woman and one said, is not this Bathsheba the daughter of uh, Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Now, this is an interesting thing because um, one of the things that... Uh, by the way, I'm going to talk about a few of these today. Um, watch out for blogs and what people say. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed at all the different uh, blogs out there, or Instagram, Facebook, social media, um, sermons that people give. And, and man, people say stuff with such authority. You know, um, I'm going to give you a couple of those. Um, but one of the things I come across is things pastors should stop saying. Top five things pastors should stop saying. And, and it's goofy, the stuff that these harebrained, stupid people say that pastors shouldn't say. Um, one of the ones that you always see is um, God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you guys heard that you're not supposed to say that anymore? Um, you know, now I understand that sometimes we as Christians use sayings kind of in a trite sort of uh, goofy sort of way. But, um, but you know, the, the, the idea is they say, well, that's just, uh, you know, you shouldn't say that anymore because people that are going through things but where does that come from? It comes from, let me read to you from 1 Corinthians, you know, chapter 10, verse 13. It says, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. In other words, everybody, everybody goes through the same stuff. Um, but God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, will with the temptation 
also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So, you know, the guys are saying, stop saying, you know, God's not going to allow you to be tempted above that mature or, you know, give you something you can't handle. Um, It is a short way of saying what really 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is saying. Um, But it's even more involved than that. But, um, but I hope that you never stop saying that. We need to tell each other, hey, you know, the reason why we don't like that, by the way, our culture doesn't like this verse and we don't want to say God's not going to tempt you or allow you to go through something you can't handle. The reason we don't like that is we love to be the victims. We don't want to call alcoholism sin. We want to call it a disease. I have a disease. I'm the victim. I'm a diseased person. It's funny how the disease is something you go down to the store and purchase. It's a disease that you chose to take up at some point in your life and drink it down. It's a disease that the Bible calls sin while the world calls it a disease. I'm sorry, if if you're a 12-stepper or AA, you know, you're probably going into convulsions right now. No, it's it's, it's a disease. Call it whatever you want, but the Bible calls it sin if you want to know what the Bible calls it. See, and it's funny how people get all up in a tizzy about stuff, but I'm going to go with the Bible on all this stuff. Um, But but here's the thing, um, the, the idea of temptation the Lord will not tempt you above that which you are able. And with the temptation, he will provide for you what? A way of escape. That's the thing. That's the deal. There, at some point when the temptation comes your way, whatever it is, sexual sin, you know, addiction, alcoholism, whatever, the Lord will at some venture or part of the, the, the life of, the, of that sin or that temptation, somewhere along the way, the Lord will provide the way of escape. Uh, the way out. And you can choose to take it or you can dive into the sin. It's up to you. Um, I I hope you understand that that's true with all forms of temptation. The Lord will provide for you a way to escape. And by the way, wise is the man that looks for that escape hatch Um, because the Lord will give it to you. And the question is, are you going to choose it? I think there's been brothers who've seen the escape hatch and maybe more than one Maybe there's been several escape hatches along the way. The Lord provided the way of escape. But after so many years of saying, yeah, whatever, I'm not taking that way of escape, then, then maybe that guy is in, in just linked, locked, tied up, entangled in sin, maybe to the point of no return, sad to say. But this verse does say that, you know, God's faithful will not suffer you, won't allow you to be tempted above that you are able the reason I go to 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is because David is the, the, the you know, poster boy of this idea. Where was David's way of escape? Where was his window to get out of this before it was at the point of no return? I believe it was verse 3. Right here, when David sent and inquired after Bathsheba. Man, he's, he's headed for sin. He's made a decision to do something dastardly. He's, he's in it, but not to the point of no return. And so he's inquiring, and one, we don't even know who that is, it's some arbitrary person. One person says, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam? Now, you Bible students should know, um, that should have sent a red flag to David, that she's the daughter of Eliam, because one of David's most trusted advisors, a guy by the name of Ahithophel, was the father of this dude named Eliam. And so David's most trusted advisor, this is his granddaughter that we're talking about here. And you guys that know the Bible, did Ahithophel and David end up buddies the day they died? No, Ahithophel, um, because I think of this incident, David's choice here, Ahithophel later betrays David when a military coup took place. And Ahithophel, the grandfather of Bathsheba, uh, later in, in the story, um, goes to the other side of the military coup and uh, starts to advise David's enemies. When David's enemies don't listen to his advice, he goes out and hangs himself. It's a horrible story uh, in the Bible. But that, that's the first thing. David said, oh man, this is somebody's granddaughter. This is a, fr- a good friend of mine, my most trusted advisor's granddaughter. Uh, that was a way of escape right there. He should have said, man, I'm not gonna go there with this girl. He shouldn't do it with any girl, but that should have been a little bit like, ah, yeah, we better not do this. Didn't notice that. Blew right by him. He's uh, this one, whoever it was, said the daughter of a lion, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Now there's the open and shut case right there. Um, This woman is somebody's wife. So that takes her out of contention. At that point, David, of course, should have run for his life. 
He should have, he should have just said, man, I'm not even going to get close to this one. This was, verse 3, is the way of escape that the Lord provided for David. And sadly, David didn't take it. How many times has the Lord given you the way of escape and you've said, ah, whatever, I'm not going to take that. Even though you had that moment of clarity where the Lord said, man, this is going to get you. This, this sin is going to nail you. Always get nailed by sin. Be sure of this. Your sin will find you out. And you know that it's true. You know that someday you're going to get caught or busted or, you know, messed up by that sin. But it's funny. Human nature wants to blow off the way of escape that God puts in front of us. David blows it off. So verse four, David sent messengers and took her and she came, uh, came in unto him and he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her home. And the woman conceived and sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And the rest is history. You guys know the story. Um, she's pregnant now. David's going to try to cover up. Now the cover up begins. Covering up his sin. And so he tries to get Uriah to come home and sleep with his wife to cover up the pregnancy to make it look like it was Uriah who was the father. But Uriah must have been on to the situation because he doesn't even go in the house. He sleeps on the front door porch there, just lays there and, and doesn't go in and sleep with his wife. And then when David says, hey, why didn't you go in your house? Man, I, there's other men out fighting battles. That's where I'm supposed to be. Hint, hint, David, loser. Um, and so David sends Uriah back into battle carrying a note and hands the note to Joab. Joab opens it up and says, the guy that just handed you this note, put him on the front part of the battle. And then when the battle is at the hottest point, have everybody withdraw, but don't give him the memo and let him die at the front lines. And Joab sends Uriah out and Uriah is murdered. So now David, the king, is an adulterer and a murderer. It's interesting, um, speaking of being above reproach, um, I'm going to dive into stuff I'll probably regret here. But is our president, Donald Trump, above reproach? Does he behave above reproach? Um, I've noticed that our culture is just totally divided. Christianity Today article, you guys hear about this? Uh, big article where the Christianity Today guy says he should be impeached. Uh, and a bunch of the evangelicals freaked out because, uh, you know, and Franklin Graham freaked out because Billy Graham started Christianity Today, his dad, and then, but he's saying, man, my dad voted for Trump. And, you know, there's this huge battle and people are angry and evangelicals are, and, and yesterday Trump was doing damage control of evangelicals because of this article and some of the other things that are happening among evangelicals. But, you know, the, the funny thing that cracks me up is, is um, you know, uh, there's part of this the, the argument that says Trump's, Trump's uh, evil. He's a sinful man. He says sinful things. He tweets sinful things. And, um, and uh, so the, the, the people that are saying that say, you should not vote for him. You should not be behind him. You should hate him or not hate him, but, you know, be disgusted that he's our president. Others say, yeah, I mean, he's kind of a loser when it comes to tweeting and saying horrible things and stuff. Yeah. But man, the stuff that he's doing as a president, man, our economy, look at that. He, he's supported, the most supportive of Israel of any president. He is supporting religious rights and standing up for churches. Like this is the first president in a long time that's done anything. Like, so you can make these arguments on both sides of this thing. He's a loser and he's sinful. Um, the thing that cracks me up is just read your Bible. Um, you know, some of the, the people that God raised up. And by the way, do you know that every leader in the world, God raises them up, good, bad, or ugly? Remember Pharaoh who wanted to exterminate an entire population of Jews to cleanse the Jews? The Bible says God raised him up. God raised up Pharaoh for that very purpose to do what he did. God raised up David, who was an adulterer and a murderer to be the king over Israel. And he's called a man after God's own heart. Samson was one of the greatest leaders in Israel's history. 20 years he judged Israel, but he was a total loser. Samson loved the prostitutes, man. He just would go all over and run all over Tarnation looking for the next prostitute that he could sleep with. Um, was he a little bit rude? Was, was Samson rude? Well, yeah, he made a, a little riddle. And when the guys figured out his riddle, uh, he owed these guys some clothes. So he went out and killed 30 guys got all their clothes off of them, carried the clothes, and here's your new clothes. They're all bloodied, still stinking from the, the battle. Like, like Samson was a little bit coarse, wouldn't you say? 
in his dealings with people. My point is, no matter who our president is, he's a total sinner. Uh, or she <laughs> is a total sinner, uh, whoever they will be someday. Um, so we shouldn't be shocked when somebody's a sinner. But here's the thing that, that would be interesting. Um, you know, and, and, and you know, while we might say, well, some of the things that Trump's doing is great, the bummer is that he is not a guy who tries to behave above reproach. Now, what's funny about that is maybe, like Samson, Pharaoh, David, Jephthah, I could go on and on about the leaders God raised up in the Bible that were rude, horrible, coarse, you know. Um, maybe the Lord raised up Trump for this season. Um, and uh, sinful as he is. Yeah, but Brett, what about the, the comment that he made uh, with what's his name from whatever, uh, before the election when he, you know, I forget the names of those guys, but it was one of the most horrible things a president or a candidate has ever said. The, the thing is, um, we shouldn't be shocked when a person is a horrible sinner. But here's what I do worry about a little bit. As evangelicals seem to be mostly on board with Trump, I hope that none of us think that it's okay to behave in a way where we're not being above reproach. We need to get back to and away from the coarseness of the way men behave, generally speaking, altogether. We are called to be godly men. You and I, as men, are called to be men of integrity and, and men of compassion like Jesus. Um, so while, while God might be using Trump and all of his horrible, sinful behaviors, but at the same time doing things that are really helping a lot of things that I agree with, he shouldn't be the model of the guy that's being above reproach. He's kind of the opposite of that. Uh, Donald Trump is the opposite of being above reproach. He's, he's like not even thinking about that at all. He could care less what anybody thinks. That, that's the problem. Um, now, uh, what does that mean for you? Well, according to the Bible, we need to start thinking about what that means. Being above reproach. David misses that because before the sin even happened, he was not acting in a way that was above reproach, where he was supposed to be with the brothers, out doing what he was called to do. Um, you might say, why is he staying home? Why isn't he engaging like a normal king would be engaged? Um, why is he, you know, um, looking at this woman and then starting to act on it? Uh, you know, even, you know, you know, whoever he went and sent, had sent for her, they knew he was engaging in this adulterous affair. Joab would ultimately find out that David was murdering Uriah. Like, like he wasn't acting in a way that was above reproach, but he was acting in a way that was openly, blatantly sinful. The Bible teaches us that we're to watch out for that. Go with me to the second example. The first illustration of what not to do, poor David. Now, by the way, David's ministry, life, king, rulership was never the same after this. Um, never the same. Uh, I told you he was at his peak, his glory years, that, that was there, but his sin. Did the Lord forgive him? Yes. Um, did the Lord uh, allow him to stay being king? Yep. But he had nothing but battles and warfare and troubles and division in his own house and horrible things happening with his sons and kids. Um, from that day forward, because of this sin, he ended up not really being able to lead like he once led. I wonder how many of us as men have so much that God wants us to do, but the sin that besets us is gonna slow down the work that God wanted to do through you, through us, because it was just plain old sin. Go with me to the other example there. Uh, we'll go to Genesis chapter 39. So David, sad to say, 2 Samuel 11 is what not to do. But I'm gonna show you Mr. Above Reproach, Mr. Abstaining from the Appearance of Evil, Mr. You know, model for us to follow. Um, and it's right here in Genesis chapter 39. So this guy, of course, his name is Joseph. Joseph was a young guy who was betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit to die. But the brothers thought, why should we let our brother die in a pit when we can make some money off of him? We can sell him as a slave. So they pull him up out of the pit, sell him to the Ishmaelites, these gypsies that were traveling across the desert. And then those gypsies take Joseph to Egypt, down to Egypt. And they sell Joseph to a guy as a slave. The guy's name was Potiphar. He was the commanding officer of the Egyptian army. 
And so Joseph goes and he's working as a slave in Potiphar's house. But, you know, Joseph was the kind of guy that no matter where he was, he excelled. Do you know guys like that? I know guys like that. No matter what you give them to do, they just excel. I don't like those guys very much. <laughs> Especially the athletes. You know those athletes that they just, you give them a ping pong ball and they can hit it better than anything. You give them a football, they can throw it. They can, like there's some guys that are just telling them, that's Joseph. He's the guy that could do no wrong. Um, you know, and, and he's, he's a slave. So he's like, I'm going to be the best slave I can be. That's Joseph. So Joseph's now a slave and Potiphar learns to love Joseph as like, this guy's totally dialed. So, so Joseph is made to be head over all of the things that Potiphar had. Now Potiphar was a guy, because he was in military, he was always off on military campaigns and what have you. And so he would leave Joseph in charge of his household while Potiphar was gone. And now we pick up that story in verse seven. It's Genesis 39, seven. It says, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, cast her eyes upon Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said unto his master's wife, behold, my master, what if not what is with me in the house? And he hath committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I, neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. Would you mark the words day by day there? Because that's the way the enemy does it. You know, if he didn't get you the first time, you better believe he's going to get you, uh, try to get you another day. Day by day, uh, he's never going to give up. You know, you, you, you look at Joseph, you think, wow, uh, good job, Joseph. Verse 9, victory. And, and I think guys make this thing, man, I was victorious. <laughs> yeah, Potiphar's wife made a pass at me and <laughs> I declined. But then day by day, that's the problem. The enemy just never gives up. And by the way, this is the same old play Satan's been running against men for centuries, millennia. Um, you know, in football, if a team has a play that works, you're going to run it over and over again uh, until it stops working. Um, that's Satan. He'll run the whole sexual temptation thing, you know, in front of you day by day. That's, that's what happens. But notice Joseph, um, it says, you know, verse 10, it came to us that she spoke to Joseph day by day that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business and there was none of the men of the house there within. Uh-oh, this is always, this is the same thing. David, same thing, no men around. Joseph, no men around. Now, in Joseph's defense, did Joseph have much control over that? The answer is, I don't think so. He was a slave. Don't forget that. He was a slave in a house. Um, he didn't have quite the same power and authority that David, the king, had. But Joseph, he's in the house, uh, and all the men are not there. So, verse 12, she, Potiphar's wife, caught him by the garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. <laughs> And when it came to pass, um, she saw that he had left his garment in her hand uh, and was fled forth, that she called to the men of her house. Where were, I thought there were no men in the house. Well, now there are. Um, called to the men of the house, saying uh, unto them, See, he hath brought in a Hebrew unto us to mock us. And he came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And it came to pass when he had heard, I lifted up my voice and cried that he left his garment with me and fled and got him out. And she laid up his garment by her until the, his Lord came home. And eventually, you know, of course, verse 20, Joseph's master took him and put him into the, into the prison, uh, the place where the king's prisoners were bound. And there Joseph would rot for many years in prison. You say, okay, Brett, that's, that's a nice little story. Joseph was victorious. Uh, shouldn't he have just slept with her? I mean, let's do the math here. Had he slept with her, maybe it would have worked out okay and nothing would have happened. He wouldn't have gone to prison for all those years. Well, the truth is you always get nailed by sin. Yeah, but you also get nailed by not sinning. Joseph was victorious here. Now he ends up in prison. Well, see, that's the short-sighted view. Those of you guys know this story. How'd that work out for Joseph? Well, years later, the king would pull him out of prison because he interprets a dream. 
uh, the butler and the baker and the candlestick maker. There's a whole other part of that story uh, that we could tell you. But the bottom line is, Joseph ends up being the second most powerful man in the world. And he saves all of Israel, Jacob's sons, because of his position of power. And God used this situation in Joseph's life to really set up Israel to be a nation. It was all because of this. Then had Joseph not done that, then that wouldn't have worked out. I love that Joseph was the, the guy that abstained from you know, sin. He, he was the guy that ran for his life, even though it would cost him dearly. He, he didn't care about what it would cost him as far as you know, going to prison, being accused of rape and all that stuff. He, he, didn't, he didn't care as much about that as he was more interested in, well, notice what Joseph says here. He says, um, should I do this thing, uh, verse nine, this great wickedness and sin against God? By the way, brothers, this is the thing that you and I have to have a mentality of what my sin really is. See, my temptation is to think that Joseph, had he slept with Potiphar's wife, the sin would have been against Potiphar's wife. Adultery, sex with Potiphar's wife, that, that's sinning against her. Or, or maybe you can make a good argument, it's sinning against Potiphar himself. You're sinning against the guy that put you in a place of power and you're sinning against the husband of the wife you're sleeping with. But isn't it interesting, that wasn't Joseph's perspective on this. He didn't say, should I do this thing and sin against Potiphar? He, he understood that his sin was against God. His sin would grieve God. That's what the Bible teaches, that our sin grieves the Father in heaven. And Joseph had the right mentality. He said, should I do this thing? He's asking rhetorically. He's not saying, hmm, should I really do this thing? No, he's saying, should I do this thing and sin against God? Do this great wickedness? And the answer is absolutely not. So when she grabs him by the coat, Another chance for Joseph to cave. Well, she grabbed me by the coat and I've already said no like a thousand times, but now she grabbed me by the coat and well, I guess I'm here. And like, I wonder, I love that Joseph did the thing. Remember when you were on the playground as a little kid in first grade and your buddies were chasing you around the playground and as you're running, they'd grab your coat and you'd just laugh as you wiggled out of your coat and just kept running. And they were standing there holding your coat. It's like, that's great. Joseph does this and he leaves his coat, his cloak in her hands and now she accuses him of rape. Um, you know what I love about Joseph is he did the right thing. He, he looked for that way of escape and he ran for his life. Run for your life, that's the idea. When, when the enemy comes and tempts you with sin, just remember, should I do this thing and sin against the Lord? The answer is no. And then run for your life. David lingered there with Bathsheba and looked at her and sent, what, what, inquired about her. What's the deal with that beautiful girl down there? Oh, she's somebody's wife? Oh, well, huh, whatever. And, and he just, just kind of, he didn't run for his life, but he started to just dabble and engage and sort of get lured in and get sucked into the temptation. That's the problem. The problem is that nobody ever just said, I'm now going to commit adultery. There's gotta be an attitude and a mentality long before the adulterous temptations right in front of your face. And I believe Joseph had an attitude that was above reproach. Joseph was the guy who abstained from even the appearance of evil. Joseph was the guy who took it to a whole nother level. He was a man of integrity and honesty. He was a man that worried about appearances. He was a guy who thought about what he was about to do and was very cognitive about you know, being the guy that was as good as he could be at what he did. Joseph's the model. By the way, Joseph is an interesting for you Bible students picture of Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you why. I mean, there's a million reasons. Um, you know, the father sent Joseph to seek out his sons. Uh, and then when his sons rejected him, they killed him and got the blood on the coat. And like, you could talk about the imagery of Jesus, God sending his son to seek and save the lost. The Jews, you know, die on the cross. They killed him just like, you know, Joseph's brothers. But I mean, we could go, but another thing about Joseph is there's no record of sin in the story of Joseph. It's amazing. The, you know, the last half of the book of Genesis is a whole story of great detail about Joseph, but there's not one record of sin about Joseph. I'm not saying he was sinless. All men have sin except for Jesus, but Joseph makes a beautiful picture of Jesus Christ who knew no sin. So Jesus is our example. Joseph is a great example in the Old Testament of a guy who knew what it was like and what it meant to be above reproach. 
So let's go to the New Testament uh, challenges. I'll flip over to, to uh, 1 Timothy with me. 1 Timothy chapter 3. One of the qualifications of an elder or a bishop or deacon here is this interesting word, um, blameless or above reproach. What does it mean to be above reproach or blameless? First uh, Timothy chapter three. It says, verse one, this is a true saying, if a man desires the office of a bishop, the Greek word for that is episkopos, which is an elder that's an overseeing elder, like uh, administratively overseeing his church. We don't call them bishops here at Athey Creek because that word has taken on a whole other meaning in modern day. Bishop, um, I, I, I don't, I don't want to see George Nelson or one of our governing elders walking around with a pointy hat and some incense. Uh, that just doesn't fit George, if you ask me. Uh, we don't believe in bishops in the Catholic church or uh, the Mormon church or some of these other places where they have bishops. They've ruined the word bishop, in my opinion. But we do have technically bishops. They're just governing elders. Episkopos is the Greek word. The guy who desires that, you're desiring a good work. Verse two, a, a bishop then must be blameless. So then the question becomes, are my governing elders, all seven of the guys that are governing elders here today, are they blameless? Um, well, if you mean blameless, perfect. Can you guys answer that? Are my governing elders perfect? No, I know my governing elders. They're not perfect. But they are guys that are blameless. What do you mean? Well, the, 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 um, some of your newer translations say they need to be above reproach. So uh, we got to look up this word approach, reproach. Uh, it's a word you don't use that often, but if you look it up in the dictionary, the definition that's being employed here by the King James or, or the New International, I should say, um, is the word uh, reproach. It means shame or disgrace, which brings rebuke or a censure upon a person. Like if there's a bunch of people going around accusing, saying that guy said a bunch of stuff that's shameful. That guy did stuff that's questionable. Um, it's, that guy did stuff that, you know, should be censured. Um, that, that's the idea. And that's what I ask about, is Donald Trump above reproach? Well, he's being accused just about every other day of, uh, of st saying stuff. And whether it's right or wrong, you could debate, and people are debating it till they're blue in the face. So not, not even want to talk about that. But, but that's the thing. An elder in the church shouldn't be a guy that has a bunch of, even if it's not even fair, even if, it's, if the accusations are not even true, that guy's not supposed to be an elder. If there's a bunch of people, it, it's like this. Um, if I had a guy who wanted to be an elder at Athey Creek and he, we all love him, he's a nice guy, but in the business world, people say, man, that guy rips people off all the time. You know, he, he's doing this, he's doing that. He's, you know, does, he, he's not honest, he owes people money um, and people are accusing him of all that stuff then he's not supposed to be an elder. He's not being above reproach. There's, there's all kinds of questions swirling around the guy. Um, that's the qualification. So being above reproach um, or blameless, um, it's one of those distinctive marks of those who aspire to be the off, in the office in the church of a pastor, elder, deacon within the church. Um, also, it's mentioned in, first, uh, pardon me, in Titus chapter one, verses six and seven, the same language. Um, so um, there's supposed to be a, such a moral quality that, that they qualify that they don't bring, bring any shame or disgrace upon the church. That's the, the body of Christ, the name of Jesus. Um, the, the, their, their name and reputation has to hold up within the church and even outside of the church. That's the idea. Um, so you say, Brett, that's great. Good for your elders. I'm not an elder, nor am I a bishop. But the idea is, um, I, I would hope that all of you guys would aspire to be leadership level, leadership quality. Um, by the way, I gotta say, there's a bunch of guys that aren't elders at Athey Creek that totally could be, maybe even should be. Um, but there's too many guys that are totally qualified to do that. And you know, we, we only have a certain need for a certain amount. But I hope that all of you guys would say, I'm gonna act like an elder. Like that would make a great church right there. If a bunch of men at Athey Greek said, we're, we're gonna be elder quality material. That's our goal. Above reproach. Um, it does not mean without sin. Um, no Christian 
has lived an entirely sinless life, nor will it will we ever until we reach our glorified state in heaven. Uh, I look forward to that, by the way, but I'm very far from perfect and, and all of us, we fall so short. But the idea is, you know, um, there should be no occasion for people just to be, you know, accusing all the time against that guy. Um, now, um, all that to say, you say, okay, Brett, that's great. That's what an elder's supposed to be. But there's other scriptures that are like that, that I'd like to point you to that have to do with all of us. Even if you're saying, yeah, Brett, I'm not an elder, so that doesn't apply to me. Well, go with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians 5. There's a, I love this no-nonsense list here. This is like, those of you that don't like people with lots of flowery words and tons of speech, here's a list for you. No-nonsense list. We'll, we'll read 5 uh, through 16 through 22. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. And you could memorize a bunch of these verses. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore. There, you got it memorized. You, you, you have memorized 1 Thessalonians 5, 16. Rejoice evermore. Congratulations. Number two, pray without ceasing. Hey, man, we just memorized two verses in the Bible. You can tell your wife, yeah, we memorized a couple of verses in the Bible today. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing. Got it. Um, verse 18, and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesyings or a word of edification or exhortation or comfort. Um, verse 21, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. Verse 22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Abstain from all appearance of evil. This is the idea of being above reproach. To not even appear to be doing things that seem to be sinful or wrong. Boy, this no-nonsense live. Give everything, give thanks. Rejoice evermore. Quench not the spirit. Despise not prophesying. Like this is a great list for you and I as men to, to, to use as a checklist. Am I doing these things? But the one that I, I'm most concerned about in our current culture and the way men are behaving today is this idea of abstaining from even the appearance of evil. Now, remember the dumb blogs I tell you about? There's another one that, you know, dumb blogs say, don't say God's not going to give you more than you can handle. They also say, don't say um, that we should abstain from the appearance of evil. Let me read to you. Uh, uh, when you Google search this, this is one of the first articles you, you come to. Uh, and by the way, I think there's somebody in the world of Google that is, or some algorithm that is basically, when you search Bible things, it points you to the most crazy, stupid things you could ever see about the Bible. I'm pretty sure there's an algorithm made to make the Bible look dumb or to have false teaching or whatever. But um, this guy says, um, you know, um, this, the, he basically makes the claim that uh, the King James got it wrong to abstain from the appearance of evil. Now, when somebody says it that boldly, by the way, uh, the one thing about the King James, love it or hate it, the scholars that King Jimmy used back in 1611 were amazing. So be careful when you start criticizing the Greek and Hebrew scholars um, that were used to translate the King James Bible. They were truly scholars um, and did an outstanding job. That's why we, you know, so many still use the King James because it's such an incredible translation. Um, it's, it's hard to even, for some of us, to even move away from it. Now, there's newer translations that are great too. I'm not a King James only guy. And, and I'm not saying that, the, that there's not things that King James could have tightened up or fixed, but I'm always worried when the blog guy says, yeah, King James got it totally wrong. Abstain from the appearance of evil. Um, and here's what his argument is. He says, that verse doesn't mean Christians should have to avoid doing things that might appear to be sin. All it says is that we should avoid sin in general. Person A might say something like this. I don't think a Christian should go near a bar or even, uh, even if they aren't going to order any alcohol, it, do, it doesn't look good. The Bible says abstain from all appearance of evil. And he's making fun of that kind of mentality. That's this guy. But his whole argument is, um, he's saying the word uh, appearance is, is not in the original text. Uh, and he says translated, technically, uh, you know, he's saying that you should abstain uh, from sin, evil, stuff like that. And he makes this big uh, elaborate case about what the, the, the word appearance is not even there. The problem with him and, and this, and this is, I'm, I'm using this as an example. I, you say, why are you going to this so much? Two reasons. I want to explain this abstaining from the appearance of evil and what it means. 
But secondly, I also want to give you guys, watch out for guys that start saying, well, the original language of the Bible doesn't really mean what it says it means. Watch out for that. It is worthwhile studying the Hebrew and the Greek, but be really leery of um, people that change stuff because of the Greek and stuff like that. Um, so the, the, what is the word that's used here for appearance? That's the word idos in the Greek. And the word idos, it just simply means um, appearance um, or possibly what is seen. Look it up. Uh, you know, the problem with the blog guys is there's a million people reading this blog and, um, and nobody's gonna go and do the homework and double check and get out a real Greek dictionary. Uh, well, bro, I checked the Strong's. Strong's is good, but um, you know, there's, there's better. And, and there's some scholarly work that's been done on every single word in the Greek New Testament, okay? I hope you know that. And it's funny, this, this guy's saying, well, it doesn't really mean appearance when it really does. It just simply means appearance. Abstain from the appearance of evil. And it's funny because the attitude that this author had on this blog, um, the attitude that he had was the attitude I see a lot in current culture among men especially. I shouldn't have, stop getting on me for doing stuff. I'm not doing stuff that that's bad or just because it looks bad doesn't mean it is bad. And we, we make excuses. There's a generation, a few generations ago um, that was of Christian men that I kind of wish we could rewind and go back to. A group of men that's, that aren't, you know, dabbling in sin and making excuses. Well, hey, I'm not technically sinning or I'm not, you know, it might just look bad, but hey, don't judge me, don't hate. And like there's this, there's this kind of modern Christian man that is looking to push the limits as far as he can go and still be called a Christian. Churches love doing this today. There's churches locally here that, you know, theologically are fairly close to us as far as you know, Bible teaching and stuff, but just little nuanced differences that I've noticed changing in local churches. The, the idea of, you know, I mentioned alcohol and stuff. You know, there's, there's a local church here, a bunch of Athey Creekers, when they first started, kind of moved over to that church, younger people. It was the hip new place to go to church. The, the, the thing that kind of bums me out though is the, some of those people now are coming back 10, 15 years later since that church started and they're dealing with alcohol problems and issues. Some of them are trying to come out of some real problems because the pastor gets up and talks about his favorite mixed drinks and at their home fellowships, they've got Coors in the cooler, you know, as they're talking about Jesus and drinking their Coors and it's liberty in Christ, man. And, and this whole thing, the Bible doesn't say we can't drink out. And, and there's this kind of thing that happens and I've seen several of those people who are once really walking well with the Lord, now their walk's not so good. And I think it started with this attitude, liberty in Christ, I can do all things, man. Uh, all things are lawful to me. You know, and they, they quote scripture, but they forget the part about this abstaining from even the appearance of evil, being above reproach, not even dabbling in sin. Remember Lot? Lot there in Sodom and Gomorrah. There he was living in Sodom. That's you and me. We live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Do you know that right now? We live, Portland's pretty much Sodom and Gomorrah. So here we are, Lot, and the angel comes as Lot, and, and I love the advice that the angel gave to Lot there in the book of Genesis. He says, Lot, get out of this town. Escape for your life. Run to the mountains. Don't look back. Great advice from people that live in Sodom. You and I should listen to that advice. First of all, run for your life. It's Joseph. Joseph ran for his life when Potiphar's wife came. That's what you and I do. Don't say, hey, I'm not doing anything technically wrong. I'm just hanging out with Potiphar's wife. I haven't touched her, Pastor Pratt. But man, there you are emotionally getting kind of linked to her and becoming friends with her. And now Joseph ran for his life. That, that was the idea. Run, 1 Corinthians 6, flee fornication. Run for your life, sexual immorality, run. But today, brothers, uh, so I'm texting a girl. Yeah, Brett, we can text girls. Are you saying we can't text girls? Hey, listen, I text girls, but let me tell you about my texting. And you can call me a religious prude if you want, but I don't text women. Um, if a woman texts me, I'm very short, maybe even a little rude. And after the woman texts me, I'll bring my wife into the loop and the text. I don't have women text me. I don't text women. I don't say, hey, how you doing? Um, uh, you know, it's amazing to me how guys sort of play this game and sort of emotionally engage with other women. I don't believe that that's being above reproach. Um, you know, 
it's amazing how men and women, we think so differently. You know, when the, when the guy's tempted, he's tempted by the girl in the bikini. When the girl's tempted, she's tempted by the guy in the bikini, the man in the Speedo. Do you see men on Speedos, in Speedos on billboards and them trying to sell things to women with men in Speedos? Is that what's happening? No, that's not what lures the woman. You want to know what lures the woman? Is a nice, kind-hearted text from a man. A man that's got a, he's a soft shoulder to cry on, a strong man, a spiritual man, a guy who loves Jesus. You know, see, guys, we're not attracted to the love Jesus thing and just a solid Christian woman. We are, whether we know it or not, but most guys don't think of it that way. But, but that's not the thing that really lures us in. But to a woman, a strong, godly man who loves Jesus, forget the Speedo. And, and, and the text that's, hey, how you doing today? Just, just want to check in. Man, that's the language that gets the woman engaged emotionally. And, and, and men just don't have a clue about this stuff. Some men, I think, have a clue about it, and they use it and say, I haven't done anything wrong, it's just a text. Um, but really, they know. They know they're actually engaging in a relationship, an emotional relationship that's crossing a line, that's not above reproach, that's actually just full-blown sin, and they're playing with stuff that they shouldn't be playing with. Call me legalistic, call me weird, but I'm saying, guys, we need to take it up several notches in this area of being above reproach. Um, some guys have jobs where they have to have lunch, you know, lunch dates and stuff. And I, I hear guys, yeah, I had to take a lady out to lunch because it's part of my business thing and I was on a business trip. Um, man, I, I think that you need to figure out a way to do that above reproach. Have more than one person at the meeting. Uh, look for ways to not do it uh, like the business wants you to do it. Say, that's something I, I don't do. Uh, but Brett, they might fire me. So be it. Joseph, he was, do you think he was worried about his job when he ran from Potiphar's wife? There's an urgency, run for your life, escape. By the way, Lot didn't run for his life. He just lingered around there in Sodom. Finally, the angel lifted him up and put him outside. And even after that, Lot's wife looked back longingly and became a pillar of salt. Assaulted. And Lot ends up going up to the mountains eventually. Uh, but Mr. Compromise, Lot's the, the, the ideal example of a guy who wasn't above reproach, wasn't abstaining from the appearance of evil. He was in the thick of it. In fact, you can almost point to every Bible character and say, was this guy a man of character and above reproach? Or was this guy dabbling with stuff and messing around in areas he had no business messing around with? We live in a culture that's so easy to dabble with stuff and do it behind the scenes. And, and, you know, and we think it's okay to spend all that time on our phones and you know, you know, linking up, talking and looking and doing all the stuff that we do. But the thing is, are you being above reproach with your phone? Do you have a, do you have a relationship with your accountability partners where you can say, uh, here's my phone, check it out, make sure that, you know. Um, it's interesting how um, today, this is kind of, kind of cool in some ways. Uh, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. Law enforcement knows that it, they, can, they can convict a, a person pretty easily just with your cell phone. Man, law enforcement, they, they, that's the first thing they want is your cell phone, your laptop, your uh, you know, digital footprint. Because man, they know where you've been, what you're doing, who you're talking to, like it's, it's uh, what you're spending your money on. Be sure of this, your sins will find you out. That's why, guys, you and I, you know, um, it should be a healthy fear of saying, you know what, should I do this thing and should I be afraid of getting caught? No. Should I be afraid of sinning against the Lord? Yes. That's Joseph. He was above reproach. He, he knew what it meant to be abstaining from the appearance of evil. First Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. By the way, the NIV says avoid every kind of evil. Um, that's where this guy from the blog got the idea that the word appearance isn't there, but it is. Um, ESV says abstain from every form of evil. Um, but the idea of abstain from the appearance of evil, that's there. And so you and I are called to be even above just not only not doing the sin, but don't even look like you're doing the sin. That's what I think the Bible prescribes. So what does that mean for you? As a, as a brother in Christ, for me, as a guy who's trying to live in a Sodom and Gomorrah world, 
Could it be that we need to take another look and say, let's rewind, let's become like some of those brothers from a couple generations ago who said, I'm gonna be a man of such moral character, not, not self-righteous, there's a difference, uh, but a moral character that I'm gonna say, I am so interested in following Jesus that I want my kids, I want my grandkids to see there's a man who's not dabbling with sin or not even appearing like he's messing around with sin, sinful stuff. So important to it is to have the, guy, the, 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 the idea of being an example of a believer, being an illustration of what a godly man really looks like. And instead of going with what a lot of these churches and pastors and ministries are doing, ah, you can do whatever you want and push the limits. How far can we go and still be saved Christians and still be within the boundaries of saved? Wrong question. Ask the question, how far holy can we be? How far, what did the Bible say? Be ye separate. Come ye out from among them. It doesn't say try to blend in. That's one of the things the church has tried to do is blend in with the world. It always cracks me up because the church is not very good at that anyway. Um, that's why you'll never see smoke and lights here on our worship stage. You know, we won't black out the windows and have the flashing lights and the smoke. And, you know, I, I can see an argument for that for concerts and for entertainment and stuff. If it's a concert, it's different. But, but it's funny how we, we try to act like the world, like some rave party. And there's the smoke and the lights. And people are like, yeah, worship the Lord. This is awesome. I, I don't see that because that, that's kind of the way the world does it. And the church should do it like way better. But often we do it lamer. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like when the church tries to sound hip and cool, they're like five years behind the times on the hip and cool thing. Stop, we just need to stop that and just be, just be first of all, who God's called us to be, number one. Um, and number two, uh, don't, don't try to, to copy the world, just to say we're different. It's just we're different people. And so when I go to a restaurant and, uh, with my wife and I ask for an iced tea, some people would call this self-righteous, religious prude, but they serve me an iced tea. And if there's a pineapple with a, a little umbrella in the iced tea, it's happened once or twice. Um, I'll just pull the pineapple and the umbrella out because you know why? Call this whatever you want, but I don't want any Athey Creekers stumbling into that restaurant going, what's Brett drinking over there? Well, Brett, there's nothing wrong with you drinking everything. For me, there would be. Because the Lord's called me not to drink alcohol and that's just for me. I know that you guys, some of you guys can drink alcohol. The Bible says it's all right. For me, I'm told I need to abstain from that for a lot of reasons. I know that's, and I also know there's a bunch of brothers in our church that struggle with alcohol and I don't wanna be the guy that stumbles them. I'm just gonna be a teetotaler. And so I don't wanna stumble anybody. So I'm gonna just make sure that I'm, there's no appearance of evil there. Some people think that's weird. I think it's godly. I think it's a, a, a wise thing to do. Um, and, and that's the kind of thing I'm asking of you guys. I wonder if there's things you, you should maybe do that your kids are watching you. And are they saying, is that, is that evil, what my dad is doing? Is that good? Mommy, why does daddy do this? I mean, I could go on and on. Um, it's like the little boy that says in the back seat of the car, Mommy, why do only the idiots come out when daddy drives? <laughs> yeah. I remember one time, Brooke, looking over my shoulder, uh, Daddy, um, what's the speed limit here? She was like four when she said that. <laughs> Conviction. You see, you and I, we need to be realizing that there's little eyes and big eyes watching us. And wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be great if Athey Creek men said, let's be above reproach like the Bible calls us. Let's abstain from the appearance of evil. Let's go the, the Joseph route, not the David route. Um, and, and I don't know about you. I've got enough stuff that I'm tempted by. I need to go crazy the other way anyway to just try to avoid all the other stuff that's in front of me that's tempta temptation. So that's my challenge to you guys this morning is to, to be men on a whole nother level of character. Something that is all but forgotten, I think, in our culture today. I think Athe Creekers need to bring it back. Men of real character, men of integrity, men of no compromise, men that are above reproach, abstaining even from the appearance of evil. In Jesus' name, let's pray. And Father, we are challenged by your word constantly. I thank you, Lord, that your word is so clear. And yet it's amazing how we can dis dismiss it or think there must be some wrong translation or try to ignore some of the things that are not exactly fitting with what we enjoy or what we want. 
But Lord, we also know that um, for ironworks to be in place, like where it says iron sharpening iron, we know that for iron to be sharpened, sparks need to fly. And Lord, even if the sparks fly and some of the thinking of my brothers here, I pray that they would understand just the value of living that life that's above reproach. Lord, um, I pray that we'd be men not thinking ourselves self-righteous or being holier than thou or sanctimonious, but I pray that we'd just be real men of integrity. Lord, that we would have that same mindset knowing that our sin is not against each other as much as it's just against you, that our sin grieves you, Lord. And I pray that you'd give us that right mindset. Lord, you even told us through your son, Jesus, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. I pray that my brothers in this room would be filled life to the fullest because of that hunger and that thirst for righteousness. Help us to have that, Lord. Build it within us by your spirit, we pray. Bless these guys as we go our way on this beautiful Saturday morning. Lord, I pray that we'd be recharged and ready to walk with you more than ever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. Well, there it is. Do with that what you will, but uh, my hope is that it's not a got to. That's the hard part. This can be kind of, oh man, heavy, got to be holy. Brett's telling us we got to do this. No, it's a get to. Um, Because... Joseph did what God wanted him to do. And because of that, he became so usable and God did glorious things through him because he was a man of character. I think that's true for you guys. If you guys will stay the course and keep fighting the good fight of faith, then the Lord can do radical things through you. It might not be tomorrow. It might not be 10 years from now, but eventually, surely God's gonna do great things as your men of character. In Jesus' name, we'll see you next time. You're dismissed.